0: Show you a better
1: way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times. The things that we can all do to live a better life, times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 565 of the Survival Podcast. We have a very special show today. I have Brandon Shelton, who's a long-time listener of the podcast. He's an emergency paramedic, uh, and he's been very involved with the relief efforts to Haiti. Uh, since the earthquake in January of last year, that earthquake that we all seem to think has kind of been taken care of, you know, we, we donated lots of money and everybody sent their their, their prayers and, 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 their, and their financial contributions and, well, that thing should just be taken care of. Well, you're about to find out that it doesn't look much different uh, in some respects than it did almost a year ago and you're going to find out some amazing things. You're going to find out today some things about charity that you're going to be shocked to hear about with large charities uh, like the American Red Cross. Um, You're going to hear some amazing stories of danger, some amazing stories of survival. You're going to hear what it's really like when the shit really hits the fan today. There are some lessons here for us that I could have never brought to you without someone who had been boots on the ground multiple times in Haiti. And you're going to hear about some amazing work that Brandon's doing to help out down there, and you're going to hear how you can help uh, with these efforts as well uh, through a little nonprofit that he set up. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Uh, sponsor of the day number one today, Ready-Made Resources. Hey, what more can you ask from a company that they tell you who they are and what they do in their name? That's what Ready-Made Resources resources does. All the resources you need for your prepping and planning, ready-made, ready-to-go, ready to to ship out the door and help you with your planning for your preparations going forward. Everything from 12-volt products to garden products to long-term food stores, you name it, Ready-Made Resources has them, and they're ready to ship them out the door to you. So check out ReadyMadeResources.com. Next up today, SilverAndGoldShop.com. One of the greatest things you can do to hedge against inflation is to make silver and gold part of your investing portfolio. Make sure that you have some silver in some gold, uh, in some shape or form. And if you're looking for silver, especially, I can't tell you a better place to find some really cool, unique. Innovative silver rounds, some stuff that's really kind of cool, very affordable, first class service. Uh, then the wonderful Mary Beth Maidmont and her operation called SilverandGoldShop.com. Check them out. I've been giving away those rounds to my nieces and nephews. I've been talking about that for about two years now, and I will continue to make them part of what I do at Christmas time for my nieces and nephews, their birthdays, and other things like that. Uh, next up, I want to remind you, check out our gear shop. And I want to remind you again, AOCS Copper Survival Podcast rounds are now available for pre-order. Um, we do them for $1.25 of a, a coin, up to 5 and uh, actually, five is a minimum order because it just doesn't make sense for us to ship one coin. So, five coins are a dollar twenty-five a coin. Uh, twenty-five coins are like a dollar thirteen, and fifty are a uh, dollar a piece. So, we give you a discount the more you buy. They will ship sometime in January. They are awesome, and they are going to be a great evangelical tool. On the back of them, they have a domain name: www. Uh, TRTAM.com, which stands for The Real Truth About Money. That site is in soft launch right now. It will be fully ready to go by the time the coins ship with a free uh, 50-page downloadable ebook that will tell people exactly what the Federal Reserve is, how our banking institution tells them the truth about money, why the intrinsic worth of our dollar is at risk, what they can do about it. Uh, It's a real evangelical tool. They're also uh, usable as currency with AOCS vendors, and I'm gonna have Rob Gray is gonna be on the show from AOCS Thursday to tell you um exactly how you can use these things to do things like set up independent barter networks of your own uh and how you can use them to spread the message of honest money and preparedness. Uh so again, Rob Gray will be here on Thursday. Um, last but not least, consider joining the member support brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members. Uh, you get a bunch of discounts. You get a bunch of free ebooks. It's a great deal. And basically, you're supporting the show at 20 cents an episode. All right, folks. And as I was saying in the housekeeping segment, we do have, uh, Brandon Shelton with us today. Brandon's been deeply involved with relief efforts down into Haiti since, uh, that earthquake, which, believe it or not, is close to a year ago. And a, a lot of things have changed, and a lot of things haven't changed since then as we've gone on with our lives. And he's here to talk to us about that and a lot of other things that I think in the Prepper community are really going to be helpful to us. So, hey, Brandon, thanks for joining us today on the Survival Podcast. Yeah,
0: no, no problem, Jack. Thanks for having me.
1: Just so folks can kind of get a, a feel for you and what you're all about and, and, and where you're coming from, uh, I know you're 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 a paramedic and 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 you've done a lot with the medical community, but you're also a prepper, in, you know, kind of in your own life. How did you kind of get into the whole emergency preparedness, disaster preparedness mindset?
0: Uh, I, I grew up to an extent with uh, you know my family were a southern family, but, but my family being in preparedness and and uh, and growing up, uh, it was more you yeah. my, my direct family is more geared towards preparedness was you know the russians are coming and you know all the way through from their early childhood but uh it just my dad's always drilled it into that that when times get tough you can't depend on on uh on anybody else but your family and yourself to provide (coughs) excuse me and uh i guess i really got into it uh uh after a couple trips to, to third world or developing nations, uh, after walking through South Africa and, and looking at things there, and, and a couple other nations I've been in, in the, uh, the Balkans, and just seeing how bad and get how quickly you can get that bad, and if you're if you're not ready for it, then uh, then you're just hand up another statistic. Uh, you know, some of those situations in, with, with uh, warfare and, and real natural disasters. You know, the deck's already stacked against you to be a statistic anyway, so anything you can do to improve those odds. And once I became a, a husband and a father, it just really and now it just wasn't me. It, it uh, and a couple roommates. It was you know I actually have a, a true responsibility to another human being or several human beings now. Uh, so I guess that's what really led me into it over the years, and and uh, my wife really got on board, sitting watching CNN and uh, back in '05. Uh, after we moved back to Florida and she's watching Katrina and, uh, and then it kind of made sense and she got on board, which helped out tremendously. Uh, and since we've been listening, we've been listening to you since the beginning and, uh, prior to starting to listen to TSP, it was mainly, you know, Red Dawn and MREs and, and lots of 556 five, rounds. And since then, my wife's got on board and, and that actually really made our preps rounded out and made them more realistic. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it does help a lot when both spouses are on board. And I think, honestly, there's a reason that we're set up as a family unit with a, a male and a female. Um, they, they Women bring some things that, that round off some of our rougher edges in, in prepping and in life. But you are saying you've been to all these places. I hadn't really talked to you that much about your background before uh, today. Um were you doing all of that as part of relief efforts in the medical world, or do you have prior military service or anything like that, or what's taking you around the world like that?
0: Uh, I'm prior service, prior, prior Army. Uh, I've been to, like most of us that were infantry, I've been to some of the, the greater arches of the world, and uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I've traveled uh, Eastern Europe and uh, and some uh, uh down south in the military and then uh, my experiences in Africa have been through uh, uh, our old church that we went to in Arizona uh, I co-led a uh, mission trip to uh, South Africa uh, years ago and that kind of got me interested in the actual relief field uh, especially from a medical standpoint of how somebody with just a little bit of training could make a, a serious difference to people
1: yeah I gotcha so how'd you how'd you get into the medical field? You're you're an eleven bullet catcher in the army, then you were eleven Bravo and uh and, and you come out and you end up as a paramedic. How'd that happen?
0: Um, well, my my father's a thirty three year veteran firefighter and paramedic and uh so yeah, I grew up uh hearing Tories and, and uh picking up tidbits from him. Uh and then with the CLS course, combat life server course in the service, uh that perked my interest. And, uh, you know, basically what it really come down to is, uh, I needed something that got a good long-term career and, uh, EMS, uh, looked like a good place to go. So, uh, I yeah, got my EMT basic, then went on to paramedic and over the years I've advanced my training to, um, uh, critical care, uh, now, flight medicine.
1: Very cool. Well, uh, so it takes a certain kind of mindset to, to t- say, okay, this is what I do in my life, but then I'm going to take it to other parts of the world, and I'm going to help people when they're in a bad way. So I think I probably speak for everybody here when I say thank you for the fact that you've been willing to do that. And What I want you to do now is kind of take the audience back to, uh, like as we said, almost a year ago. The quakes just happened. You guys decide you're going to get down there and do whatever. You don't even know what you can do yet, and you're going to go, and, you know, how did you put that together and what was it like when you first got there to, uh, to Haiti? The,
0: uh, the, the way we got, um into Haiti was, or, or uh, Haiti came about, at least for us, was, uh, the day of the quake, uh, the quake hit January 12th, roughly around 5, about 1700, about, about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I got a call, I think it was late that evening, about seven, eight o'clock that evening uh, from a pastor of a a church we used to go to uh, that they had a a, a village that they supported, an orphanage that they supported in Haiti, and uh, and he called and said, you know, how many uh, uh, paramedics do you think you can get together that can make it down uh, uh, in Haiti and get down there and, you know, live out of your rucks and, and help out in this village, and he was explaining, you know, the security situation, that he understood it and how everything was going, and, of course, I was just seeing it on the news the first Initial reports were coming in, and the first videos coming out of Haiti. Um, I got several. In this past afternoon, several friends of mine are, are uh, have contracting experience, and uh, uh, so I said, "Well, the first question I asked, was, well, what to say?" And he said, uh, <laughs> "Well, it doesn't say anything. So the list just got real short." But uh, I called a couple buddies of mine that, that fit that criteria, um, and they said, uh, uh, "Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll go." Uh, my friend Chris, uh, who's a paramedic out in uh, San Diego, uh, we've been, we've run around the world, you know, doing foolish things for a long time. But I called him up and said, hey, uh, you ready for a pretty good adventure? And he said, well, let me swing by the house and grab a change of, change of drawers and socks and my pistol where we meet. So, <laughs> uh, uh, him and, uh, another paramedic guy, uh, friend, another paramedic buddy of mine, uh, John Eric, uh, who's, uh, another, he's a medic here in Jacksonville as well. Uh, they were good to go, and so we decided, yeah, we can go. And I called the pastor and said, okay, I got myself and two other men. Um, we, we need to pick up some supplies, and you know, because uh, we had to be suspicious, we need to pick up some extra supplies and this, that, and the other. How we get in there, and uh, you know, how, how are we, uh, how do you want to work out us picking up these supplies that we need in the, pastor's Pastor. Says, well, we don't exactly have any money to send you. <laughs> we have no idea how to get you there. Huh. And he says, and he says uh, so uh, I'll get back with you. And uh, to be honest, from there, it was just a god thing. Um, logistically, putting together uh, anything to get into Haiti at that time was uh, just a nightmare. Uh, there was no commercial air air traffic going in. Um, the uh, the military had yet to come in, and our military had yet to come in and take control the, uh, of the airport there in, in France. And everything that I was hearing, I was talking to people on the ground there that uh, I'd been put in contact with, and it was, you talked talk to them, and out here in the background was, you know, gunfire, and, and everybody said the same thing, it's terrible. Get down here as soon as, you, as soon as you can, you know, we need help. Yeah. Uh, and God just kind of just dropped it together for us. I uh, ended up, uh, I'm not even exactly sure how, I got connected up with a group called Air Mobile Ministries out of Titusville, Florida, and they didn't have big enough aircraft to be able to see... Uh, to get over there with, uh, you know, they have very small, you know, single-engine aircraft and uh, private aircraft, but they hooked me up to Sherry Flights International out of Fort Pierce. And uh, just to give a, a plug for Hendrix Motorsports, a lot of people I don't know, but uh, uh, he, he donated uh, two Saab 2000s and I think like 2 or $3 million to keep them flying wow. at, for a month, making four round trips a day out of Fort Pierce, Port-au-Prince doing nothing but bringing in uh medical personnel and supplies. But uh we bummed a flight uh bummed a flight with them and the thing about that was is that they said, We'll, we'll get you there but you're on your own for getting home. Uh it was kind of they are and out uh they fly in medical personnel, fly out patients going back to the States and uh uh US citizens that were, you know, living in Haiti as, as missionaries or uh working for other NGOs fly them back out but uh you'd their advice was when you're ready to leave, just kind of show up at the tarmac and start asking people if you can bum a ride. But uh, so we knew we could get in, and we knew eventually we'd get out. And worst comes to worst, it's not that right, far of a, a ride right over to the Dominican, it's only eight nine hours to get into the Dominican Republic and uh, and fly out from there because the Dominican was completely unaffected by the quake. Sure, uh, but we got in and and. Uh, uh, Got on the ground there in Haiti and collected our gear and there's no customs, no, uh, no immigration, nothing like that. Uh, they collected everybody's passports, uh, the people that were working before and by and, and they said, well, when are you planning on leaving? And you tell them when they're planning on leaving. They just added a couple of dates to your stay and you got your entry and exit visa at the same time. Got
1: it, yeah. Got it. Yeah.
0: So, uh, uh, we had, made contact or had our contact that was going to come pick us up there at the airport and give us a ride back to the village, uh, which is in Bon Repos, which is about seven miles uh, outside of the airport within Port-au-Prince. Uh, and looking at it from the air, you know, you can see all the destroyed buildings and all you see. I wish I had photographs photograph in the air because all you see in the streets is just tens of thousands of people just everywhere, just in the streets of Port-au-Prince. Um, and the first thing I noticed, once you got away from the aircraft, uh uh, and you just took a breath, all you could smell is death, because uh, this was uh, Quake post, I can't remember, several days uh, after the Quake, but uh that's what the Port-au-Prince, from what I've understood, prior to the Quake has never been a uh, a very fragrant city, but uh it, this was just exactly what it smelled like, it just smelled like death, so, I mean, everywhere you went, uh, within the city, if you didn't have uh, a Shema or some paper over something under your nose, and then you weren't going to be a whole lot of good to anybody because you'd just be sick.
1: So, yeah, I want people to kind of understand um, what this was really like, because I think that we have a tendency to feel that we're somehow insulated here in America. And what this was really about was a whole lot of people killed really fast and what infrastructure there was for support dissolving overnight, not being able to be replaced. And at that point we get into just basically a human condition and, you know, there's probably good and bad in humanity at that point. Tell us about some of the things that went on down there when you first got there with, uh, with, with kind of that respect. People that were trying to do what they could and then people that were doing anything they could to survive and, and people that probably were pretty decent people one day kind of stealing and doing whatever they could just to get by the next.
0: Uh, at the time that we had got there, um, you know, Haiti had very little uh, infrastructure prior to uh, the event. They had you know, it was the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, so it was bad, you know, it was bad five minutes before the earthquake, and it was exponentially, it was, I mean, just hell on Earth after the quake. Uh, you know, you talk about a, a city, uh, I, think that, I can't remember how many people lived in port prince at that time, I think the population of the country, I want to say it was like 7 million, uh, the quake happened within 24 hours, of the estimates are between 230 and 250,000 people died uh 65% of all the buildings in Port-au-Prince were, were uh either destroyed or too dangerous to enter. Uh, there there's never been any true municipal water or anything like that, but what what uh what water was, was available on a daily basis was gone. The uh uh people that did have wells that their water was safe for drinking for the native Haitians, of course you, know, you or I we couldn't drink it without getting sick that they could. I don't know if something with the aquifer shifted or, or what exactly caused it, but all the wells became contaminated um, with uh, bacterial and viral and, uh, and chemical contaminants.
1: It's probably runoff. from the you know the damage from the quake and how many people are laying around dead is probably runoff that, that, that caused that. Wow.
0: Yeah, that it's you know when we rolled in, we're rolling through the uh, the city. As we got there, you know you approach the gates and then you had the airport secured, and that's the only thing that was keeping. All the Haitians, because they could see aid coming in, and the big problem with all that aid coming in, there's just nobody there coordinating getting out. Um, the, the corruption, uh, of, of the Haitian government is, is beyond description. Anybody that's been involved in development nation understands the corruption, but anybody that's been Haiti can tell you it's, it's on, they take it to another level. They, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you'd have, uh, the first few flights that were coming in, you'd have, a uh, quote customs official get on and say oh, there's a, a $1,500 takeoff and landing fee, at 750 bucks to land, 750 bucks to take off. It's due payable now in U.S. dollars uh, in cash. And if you don't want to pay it, you can't get off the aircraft and you free fuel and you can't take off. And that was what it was like before our military got in there and took over the airfield and put a trap to it. But, but this is an example. I mean, it started immediately. Uh, but as far as you know, we rolled into the city and and uh, bodies, everywhere you look, bodies, men, women, children, babies, uh, stacked like cordwood. And there's nobody coming to pick them up, so they're just sitting there in the tropical sun. Uh, you pass, kind of to drive over canals and look down into the canal. And I, I know in one picture we have, uh, you can see people bathing and, and uh, getting water and everything out of, uh, uh, out of one of these rivers, out of one of these canals, and... You turn around and we shot upstream and there's probably 15, 20 bodies, uh, at a little bend in the stream, kind of log jammed in there. Mm. And, uh, it, it's, uh, but you're trying to, you know, you knew we'd be overwhelmed with what to do and where to go and where to help, uh, right when we got there. Because everywhere we looked, there's people that within the, in the states, you know, you would immediately, you know, they would have already been picked up and treated, you know, by the 911 system, but, Everywhere we look, there's just people with, with, you know, head injuries and fractures and, you know, open fractures. First person we actually stopped to help is a, a, a small girl, about probably six years old, just sitting on the side of the road, uh, with her mother, and she's got a, a an open tib-fib fracture, uh, you know, so basically, about mid-shin, her leg is twisted 90 degrees the wrong way with exposed bone, and, and, I mean, that's a horrific injury, and this has been like that way for days, you know, uh, with no treatment. And yeah, we stopped, you know, and you get out and, and uh, put our bag down. And that's what we learned kind of at that time. The rule of thumb was uh, if you set something down, they just assumed you didn't want that. <laughs> but, uh, set one of our jump bags down. And uh, next thing you know, there goes our nice blaze orange jump bag disappearing down the street. And uh, one of my men uh, threw his weapon up, you know, and, and, and sighted on the guy. And he says, you know, what am I going to shoot the guy in the back? for nothing you know for a bag that we have another one of and uh so we wrote the bag off and uh, uh started packaging the, the kid to, to try to transport him to uh we had heard that the field hospital uh Miami uh field hospital University of Miami had set up a field hospital or was in the process of setting it up uh and then you kind of hear a commotion coming through the crowd a, a large group of people uh so we started getting nervous thinking Somebody's got into the bag, found out there's some stuff in there that they could use. Now they're coming back for more. So we're basically, we know we can't get out because of the traffic and there's just a mass of people. So we're just going to set up a defensive perimeter and get ready to hold what we got. And here comes this group through the crowd, probably, I don't know, 20-plus people, men uh, from kids up to the guy that was leading the pack had to have been in his 60s or 70s. And he's got my jump bag, and they're dragging the guy that took it. <laughs> and they beat the fire out of this guy. I mean, I mean, beat him bad. And he gives the bag back to us and, you know, so sorry, so sorry, you know, and, uh, turns and kicks the guy in the face and spits on him, you know, and he, wow. he uh, is a catch-all, there's all catch-all word for, you know, thief, scumbag, gangster, you know, and calls him that creel word and spits on it again and so sorry. So he's Thank you for you come to help. So it was, you know, even in the midst of, of these people are literally you know there's people getting killed over bottles of water or bags of water and uh you still have you know the good people of the, of the city that are banding <laughs> together and trying to stop the criminal element you know the 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 prison in Port au Prince is also destroyed and you have 2000 patient convicts that went running loose on the streets mm. um, it, it ain't quite like here you know you, you got to really screw up to go to prison in Haiti <laughs> you have to be real bad uh, at least in the port au prince prison uh which wasn't a political type prison it was a uh a uh, uh a, the criminals prison but
1: it's it's the, uh, it's interesting uh, that we even they even have that distinction you know I, I think that we in america we 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 look at our government and we 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 think of how bad some of the things are, but we also tend to not realize how how good we have it we don't we don't have a political prison um in in the United States at least not yet so these guys have a place for Criminals and then you know people that have crossed the political line, um, right? And, and but, but kind of being down there and seeing all this, and, and you know, we, you know the stuff we talk about as far as preparedness every day. What are maybe some lessons you came away with? Like you were telling me that like if you would have had a whole bunch of food stored in Port-au-Prince, it didn't do you any good because it was under rubble. The only choice these people would have had had been to have some place to go. Yeah,
0: and that's that's what I really took away one of the biggest things you looked at, it, it, it didn't matter if you were living in Puerto Prince, it didn't matter how well you were prepared uh, short of, you know, your, your house having been been uh, not destroyed, which, of course, there's no building code or anything over there, and, and that had a lot to do with uh, uh, this, this, the destruction of the buildings. But uh, either way, you know, it, it's it, you could have been sitting on, you know, a year's supply of food for your family and, you know, half a million rounds of ammo and all the medical supplies and everything you needed. You know, for, for, you know, a long-term event that's buried under, you know, 30 metric tons of rubble, of concrete block, it's not going to do you any good, and there's no way you're getting to it. And even if you could get to it, you couldn't, you wouldn't survive that, uh, you know, you got 2 million people that are now homeless and hungry and and thirsty, uh, and you got something, you're not holding off that many people, you know, no matter how much we all want to think that, you know, we could, we could ruck up and, and, uh, go to guns and, and, and hold our own, it's just, it's just no way. Yeah. Sure. So if you didn't have someplace outside of the, place to go that was prepared outside of the, the event zone and outside of the, basically outside of Fort Prince and, and further out than that, uh, if you didn't have someplace to go that was hours away, then, then you were just as in a bad shape as everybody else in the city, no matter how well you were prepared locally. Uh, and that, that made a big impact on me and uh, change the way I do some things uh, here at home.
1: So uh, Uh, us survivalists that have gone as far as to set up a bug-out location, we're not as crazy as people think we are, are we?
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And that's, uh, uh, I I guarantee if you were to to take anybody uh, uh, that that would have looked at it from the point of view of, yeah, if you got a a bug-out location and you're into preparedness or you're a weirdo anyway, and he have gone as far as to have a, a stock bug out location, and then he showed them the, the the city and what it was looked like and what it was like there uh, after the quake. I don't see how you can uh, not see the wisdom of lightening the idea of having a, a separate location to, to fall back to. Uh, because, like I said, it didn't matter. Even if you you kept all your preps and your your structure would have survived, you wouldn't have survived the first night, yeah, you know, or the first sure. night, the first hungry night, I should say. And, and that was the other thing. After the sun went down, it was a different world. It was scary during the day, but after the sundown, all you heard was just gunfire. We have a couple of videos we shot. Uh, uh, we slept on a on a roof in the village of a of a small uh, single story building. Uh, the, the, all the everybody everybody in Haiti lives in, or at least in Port-au-Prince, they live in a compound. You know, you have ten foot you know, bottle top glass bottle top walls and and uh, large you know big steel gates. Well, all those, for the most part, were down. At least as those they were all down. And, uh, we tried to secure it as best we could. Uh, and obviously nobody wanted to sleep inside after the quake. Uh, so we set up on a rooftop because we checked on the building and didn't like what we, what we saw with the, the structural integrity of the building. So we decided to sleep on the roof because uh, everything's block construction. You have a solid, you know, basically the only thing with any real amount of rebar in it is the rooftop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you look at the photographs, generally the walls went out or in and the roof came straight down and just pancaked anything underneath it. Uh, but we slipped on the rooftop. Uh, it gave us a, a, you know, if the roof came down, the building came down in one of the aftershocks, which were, you know, constant uh, the whole time we were there on the first trip, uh, I'd rather ride it down eight feet than have it come down on top of me. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> And it gave you a little bit of a tactical advantage and, you know, once we climbed up there, it'd be difficult to get up there at night without whoever was awake hearing you. Sure. Uh, and then all of our, uh, the Haitians in the village there, uh, that we were staying in and, and running a, a clinic out of and everything, they immediately brought everybody down to in front of our building and set up their tarps and camped out in front of us. Uh, they had decided that, uh, we were there as Mission, and the comment we heard over and over and over was, you don't look like any missionaries we've ever seen before. Uh, because we didn't, we approached the, the, the trip from a different angle than a regular release trip just because of the situation. You know, we were, we were wearing armor, we're armed, um, you know, with, with, uh, lethal and non-lethal weapons. And, uh, that's what, within the orphanage system, they were having a big problem right after the quake of, uh, people would come to the orphanage because, uh, they call them, it's a crash and Haiti is the real word for it. They'd come to the crash, knowing that the crash had supplies, you uh, the crash has food, you know, stored up for the kids. Yeah. And, uh, when a lot of things are happening, the, the owners or the people that run the orphanage were being assaulted or even killed, and they just take all the kids' food and, you know, medical supplies and everything and just take off with it. And, uh, and that was going on nightly, and that's one of the reasons you heard so much gunfire was, uh... If something went bump in the night, at that time over there, everybody just threw down with what they had. So, uh, once it got dark, you definitely didn't move around, uh, uh, for, you know, out of concern for the criminal element that was out as well as, if, you know, you stumble over a piece of rubble and make a little bit too, no- too much noise and, you know, the people on both sides and in front of you are just going to open up on the Shoot at noise.
1: you. Because you guys look more you like a little down. military element running around down there than, uh, than, let's say, a medical relief team. And you guys kind of had to do everything from the time you got there to the time you left with no real direction by anybody else. You just took self-direction, went where you thought you were needed, and did what you could, right?
0: Correct. We uh, uh, we, we had our uh, Ruska Village uh, and, and Bon Repos was where we were staying at. Uh, they had a clinic um, that was built and had some rudimentary supplies to it that we were uh, able to operate out of. And, uh, we got word out that, you know, if people were able to, to, uh, get to the village, then we did our best to treat them. And once the field hospital got operational, then, uh, uh, if we felt it was secure enough, which we didn't have one time where, where we needed to get somebody to the hospital, generally a tile that we wouldn't, uh, run the gauntlet, so to speak, uh, to go through, uh, through Port of prince back to the airport. Um, once the, the 82nd got in there and the Marines got in there, then it calmed down. The streets calmed down a lot. During the day, uh, um, but at night, uh, you know, at sundown, then the, uh, our military secured for the evening and it was, you know, back to being free same, old, the same old. again. And then the national police, you had to really watch, uh, the Haitian national police because their answer to, you know, they get a call or get notified of a riot or, or looting or something going on. And at that time, really, it wasn't even looting, it was more scavenging, uh, kind of hard to loot a pile of rubble. Sure. And, uh, but you'd have people literally being, oh, you know, this used to be a grocery store, and they'd be digging through and and not even, you know, not fights breaking out. People organized, you know, and just forming like a bucket brigade to move rubble and try to get to, you know, water or food or whatever was in there. It was very much unlike, you know, Katrina. You didn't have people looting the electronics store.
1: Yeah, nobody was uh, running away uh, with a plasma TV and saying, I need to exactly. subscribe, right? People were actually exactly. looking for anything to fill their stomach for one more day.
0: Exactly, you know, or, you know, just give that, you know, give that, your, your another, you know, sip of water or, or, that you knew that wouldn't kill it, uh, from some, uh, some funky disease that it would, uh, develop from it. But, uh, the Haitian police would, the national police would respond, they'd pull up, pile out of the back of their Toyota Hilux, and the preferred, uh, long gun over there is an M14 with the, uh, bustle hacked off at the, at the pistol grip or at the grip. And they just pile out and just you know open up on uh, into the crowd. If you're lucky, they'd fire a couple bursts in the air, and after that, they just start uh, zipping seven sixty two around through the crowd.
1: Oh my God! And,
0: uh, <laughs> uh, so the best bet was when when a big crowd got together, uh, your best bet was to be outside of that. I, I didn't get away wait from it it. In the middle of it anyway, but uh, because when they show up, uh, it's uh, uh, there's going to be gunfire, and then there's of course obviously the, the the conflicts would break out between the citizens and that.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: no matter how
1: no matter how um, benevolent you're trying to be, and whether police or not, you're out there not harming anybody. If somebody starts shooting at you, your natural reaction is well, you're going to shoot back. You're at a self-defense. Exactly. Uh, so now you've got all-out war going on. I, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit forward in time here because I know a lot of people right now. Probably like I was thinking up until we started talking about this, or thinking, well, hey, that was last year, and I gave some money to Red Cross and uh, did some relief stuff. Now, and it's—we it, we did that. Now, it's taken care of. Um, that's not the case. It doesn't really look much different today than it did when you walked into it in kind of a ground zero mode, does uh, it? I'm sure there's more. There's more people trying to help, but the place itself is really still pretty bad. Yeah, there, there's a
0: lot more order in the chaos now, but, uh, we were last over in, uh, May of this year, um, our organization, we took, uh, uh, a group of, uh, 17 nurses and doctors, uh, from, uh, Arizona, from Phoenix, Arizona, from the church, uh, in the Sun Valley Community Church. And we took them, them over and, uh, it, it's, it hadn't changed a whole lot. I mean, other than the streets are cleared, there's not bodies, uh, everywhere. Uh, from the quake. Of course, now I'm also talking to people on the ground now, and it's, they're back to dig mass graves from the power epidemic, But we'll talk about that shortly. But uh, as far as infrastructure, it hasn't changed uh, since we were there in, in January, as opposed to you know our last trip in May. Um, there is still no, there's no constant power you know, within the city. It's, it's intermittent. Um, the fuel has you know, fuel is stabilized. You can get you can get gas and diesel fairly regularly now um uh, you can uh you can also uh uh find bottled water uh within the grocery stores if they're if they're had been supplied but you know the average yearly income for your haitian prior to the quake was like 1200 bucks a year and uh unemployment i
1: think is at 80 percent you still have two million people living in tents mm. Uh yeah you know, and, and And everything that goes along with that, right, as far as disposal exactly of sewage as as, uh, and or lack of disposal geez, of garbage, You know, and
0: uh and then you have uh, uh the the tent cities are, are I couldn't imagine uh, uh to them. We were trying we were going into some of the early refugee camps in January, uh and you know, somebody would come and say, uh come to the clinic and say, hey, you know, there's a baby here or, or baby's mother is sick we can't bring her here she's too sick to be moved or so we would uh you know buck up and and get out to the wherever their tent city was uh and uh, uh talk to the every tent city in haiti is run by uh, a pastor and uh, you will talk to the pastor and that's the key to uh to security within the tent cities is you just can't walk in because you immediately get mobbed um by everybody in the city, because they just they just want help. They want, uh, and that's that's back in January as well as now. Um, but you, you find out the kids, but the, the conditions uh, in January they're living in were deplorable, and now you after you know uh, almost a year later, and it's uh it's unbelievable. Just uh, the the just uh, what you would look at. You know, we would look at it from, from our standpoint of, of our standard of living here in the states. You know, one of our a homeless guy in the states would look at it and and just it just turn his
1: stomach. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. you would be like, dude, I got it pretty good, you know. I, I <laughs> you know, I've got a box. Uh, these guys have a, a rag. You uh, can laugh. We, you know, we laugh a little bit because I think when we're uncomfortable, we we use humor uh, to kind of make ourselves feel better. But it's really an atrocious situation. But let's talk a little bit about the types of injuries you treated. One thing you told me is that. When you were down there, uh, it's not like here where a doctor is a doctor. Like you have a stethoscope on your neck down there, you're a doctor. So you had to treat things at a level that you had never done before and because there was no one to hand a person off to, it was either what you could do or nothing. And talk first about maybe the, the, the major acute type of injuries when you first got there and then as you've been going back, maybe some of the things that, uh, like the diseases, and, and you said like one of the biggest problems is diarrhea, and, and you know anybody can treat that if you know what to do. So kind of help people for, form their head around what's going on down, and at the same time think about what they can do to be as medically prepared as possible for their own needs.
0: Well, the, the initially when we were talking, the, the injuries you would see were, were just what you would expect from from the type of event, the mechanism uh, of injury that, you, you, that caused it. You know, the was all crush injuries, uh, you know. Eight, eight, sixteen pound watts, you know, whole, and a whole wall of it coming down and landing on people and, you know, uh, you know, legs smashed, you know, legs, the extremities smashed completely flat, you know, closed head injuries, open head injuries, um, uh, just uh, uh, a lot of internal bleeding that, that there's just nothing we can do. For. Um, like you just said, there's, you know, here in the States, uh, all I gotta do when I pick you up in my rescue is I need to stabilize you, uh, as best I can with what I got. And I need to get you to Territory care, care, care to a, to an ER where they have a, physicians that can need surgery, we can get you, they can get you to surgery if, you know, whatever you you need outside of, of, my scope of practice or whatever medication you need outside of, the, you know, 60 or so I have on my rig, they can take care of. But when we got there, it was, uh, uh a lot different for, for us as paramedics. It was, uh, uh, there was no, there was no place to, place to take them. Um, you, you did what you could, what you got, and you improvised as best you could, and, uh, uh and beyond that, you know, you, you, uh, said a prayer with them, and, and in of the cases, that's, you know, you'd look at somebody, and it was just, uh, it was a triad situation, you had to look at them and go, no matter what I do with what I got, this patient is going to die.
1: So I've gotta pick somebody that I can actually do yeah. something for, and exactly. it's, it's a hard it's call to make, I'm sure. Oh,
0: yeah, and especially, you know, you got kids, and you're looking at them going, you know, this would be nothing if there's a trauma center five minutes away. This would be nothing if I could get on the phone and call for an ATU, you know, and get a and get a helicopter to come get you. But, uh, unfortunately this is, you know, it's going to kill you. And, and I have to make that decision and we have to make that decision to, uh, to go on to the next person that we can treat. And it, it's just a mass casualty incident. We all train for it within fire and police and EMS. And, but you never think you're going to be in front. And when you are in one uh, in the States, it's just so much different, uh, because everybody's there, you know. It's it, it, you're looking at it, it. Even if it was a city event, you know, a uh, uh, you know, like nine eleven, where you just have thousands and thousands of casualties, where you still can you have mutual aid. You can get you know the circle of care just starts spreading further and further out. Or, or
1: sure. Katrina,
0: you know. But but there there was nobody, and if you had a question or things that we weren't used to dealing with, because uh, it wasn't just stabilized, get into the hospital, and hospital figures out, okay, well, what's wrong with them other than these injuries and you know, what What else, what can be done for them? It, 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 there was none of that getting them to the hospital. And now if I have a question, I can pick up the radio and uh, and have one of the you know the nation's best physicians on the other end of it tell me, you know, okay, well, let's try this, or have you thought about this, or are you seeing this, or um, uh, there was no uh, online medical controllers, nobody to call. That's why, you know, when University of Miami, uh, when Children's opened their field hospital back at the airport, yeah, you know, and That was a godsend, literally a godsend, because now we had some place we could take people, and they had surgical capability. You know, they had orthopedic surgeons, vascular surgeons, cardiologists, you know, they had everything at a hospital, and uh, uh, they immediately opened their doors, and five minutes later were completely overwhelmed. You know, yeah. Because everybody that was out in the city, all the rescue workers, you know, uh, that was working out there, uh, we all heard about the hospital around the same time, so, you know, everybody... You know, falls out going there to take their patients in and and uh, immediately overwhelm that facility. Uh, but they're, they're still there today. University of Miami uh, uh, an outstanding facility. They're operating there, and they've been there since uh, uh, shortly after the quake, and they've made a commitment to stay there. And, and I can't tell you how many thousands of lives, tens of thousands of lives, that that, uh, that hospital saved. I know several that we brought there that wouldn't have made it. Um, and the only thing you can look back at it, you sit down at night and you know, you know, and you you kinda kinda count through and say, Okay, we did this, we did this and and get yeah. the an after action report. We'd sit on the roof and, and scarf an M R E and talk about what we did today and what we need to do tomorrow and what we could do different. I always came back to the same thing as you know, damn, I wish that hospital was here three days ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine but, uh now that things have kinda of moved forward, right, and and people have um Kind of gotten past the acute. It means you had the acute injury. You're either walking around with a limp, no leg, or dead at this point. If it was an acute injury, it's over at this point. But there's still a lot of people sick and dying there. What is the aftermath? Because i have often said a lot of times, if you don't get whacked in the acute event, the aftermath is what you got to look out for, from riots to disease. What is affecting people uh, right now? The worst down there. What do they most need to get through it? Uh right now what
0: what uh, anybody that's that's uh on who is very rarely is it in, in the mainstream news anymore. Uh you know, if you watched even after the quake, you know, it's all you saw for what a week or so and then sure. Britney colored or changed her hair color or something and you know, our media has the attention span of a gnat so <laughs> so they uh uh they shifted gears. But uh, uh right now, um the 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 cholera epidemic that's going on uh, the last official count that I looked, it was over 2,000 dead, you know, tens of thousands uh, infected, and those are official numbers, so they're not even realistic. Uh, cholera is, is uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a simple disease, it's just a treat, and, and uh, you literally poop yourself to death. You know, you, you, you get a it's, a, it's a bacterial infection of the gut, and, uh, and once it takes hold, you know, it can kill you. Uh, in a day, it can kill a child in hours um, it can kill an adult especially a, a an undernourished uh, you know in poor health in general a person that's living in a refugee camp it can kill um, uh, about people can lose you know eighteen liters of fluid through their butt. I know it's gross, but that's that's what it how it kills you and and it's a simple disease to treat. You know, if you catch it early, all you gotta do is just feed them Gatorade, you know, just rehydration salts. And if it's a severe case, you know, a dose of, uh, of, um, doxycycline or Cipro, you know, antibiotics that so we can go to a public and get for free ourselves. And, uh, uh, we can, and you can cure it. You can, you can save a life. and even in severe cases, uh, if they're not dead, if they're still if they still got a pulse and, and any type of palpable blood pressure, then uh you can you can resuscitate that that individual. You, you know, spike a bag of saline and pop a lamb <laughs> and and uh and you can save their life and you're talking about a whopping three, four dollars worth of medical supplies um, to save somebody and people are dying over there in scores every day. You know, I, I got pictures that that friends have sent me that are over there now That'll that'll make you cry,
1: mm. and it's it's an easy cure. But if you don't have it, oh, yeah. it's not easy. But if you don't have it,
0: yeah, it's not easy. You know, what's killing everybody over there? You know, the acute, you know, the actual, the trauma, which you know, uh, as preppers, I think we tend to focus when we think about medical supplies. We tend to focus on you know, all right, well, I'm going to be treating gunshot wounds, and I need you know, trauma dressings and kits and you know, if I have that level of IV fluids and large bore casts and this and that and the other, you know, and,
1: uh, in reality,
0: you know, you know, that's the first little bit. If Trauma-wise, if you're not dead in the first, you know, day or so, you're probably going to be alright. Like I said, you might walk with a limp, but, yeah. you know, and if you can keep, if you have the ability to keep that infection from setting it, which killed a lot of people in Haiti, uh, with after effects, you know, uh, uh, you know, we saw guillotine amputations, uh, uh, we saw an amputation that was done with a uh with a hacksaw that had been sterilized in vodka. Oh, you
1: know, wow! My
0: team didn't. We didn't do that, but we 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 saw it. You know, we saw. that. We're, we're getting that, back so to that si- was the option.
1: Yeah, we're getting back to Civil War era medicine it, at I that mean, point. That's what, it
0: was, that's what that medicine. Yeah, that's what the surgery was at that point. And then if you had the antibiotics, load them up and hope the infection didn't set in. But but I mean, that, as preppers we tend to think, you know, at least I I used to tend to think that way of of you know. You know, a trauma junkie or trauma, 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 it's, it's gonna be bad and I'm gonna fix it and, uh, the blood's from coming out, you know, and, and then everything will be better. But, but what's killing everybody, you know, after the initial disaster, after the initial, you know, wave of deaths, what's killing everybody is, is your, your diarrheal diseases, you know, your, people are dying of, of, just dirty waters, what's killing them, you know, dysentery mm-hmm. and, and now cholera and, uh, and just general illnesses that normally wouldn't be a big deal, and it's just wiping them out wholesale, man. It's, uh you know, it's medieval. It really is.
1: I understand what you're saying, too, about the people with the big elaborate kits. I was talking to you yesterday, and I told you about this buddy of mine that bought, like, a field surgical hospital kit for, like, 500 bucks. And I said, man, what are you going to do with that? He's not an EMT. He's not a paramedic. He's not. In fact, I, I didn't tell you this yesterday. This guy failed high school biology, I know, because I had a class with him. Um So I don't know what he thinks he's going to do with it. But there are things that even that guy, that he's a little bit eccentric, could do to deal with these things, so what? I mean, it sounds like oh, one yeah. thing you need to have on hand as a way to purify and filter water is being imperative. But what are some other things that you, you know the yeah. we as preppers should focus on outside of you know the blowout kid and stuff like that, getting past that trauma and dealing with aftermath.
0: The the you know the like you just said, my, like I've heard you say countless times, water's and If you don't have it, you're a dead man, and uh, that's that's number one. And I think that should be number one in anybody's aid bag. Is, uh, yet another one. That's the top of my, uh, top of my, my head bag. Uh, the first thing that you see when you open it up in the first pouch, uh, after the uh, airway pouch and everything that you can see is a, is a, is a water filter. And, uh, uh but, cause you're going to need it for a lot of the, anything you're going to treat, you're going to need clean water to, to, treat whether you're rehydrating somebody or, or you're trying to make, uh, some sterilizing fluid. Whatever you're trying to do, you need it. But, the things that are, that you don't need, you know, to go to school and be trained for, uh, to, to use, you know, like IV therapy and things, but, you know, you know mm. it's you know, stupid emodium. save your life, save your kid's life, you know, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, and then depending the on if you have a permanent physician or something like that, just general broad spectrum antibiotics, uh, you know, for whatever little bugs you might pick up or simple cuts that turn into uh, uh into infections, you know, and, and things like that, you know, and that's kind of a, a gray area where you get into, uh, uh, stockpiling medications, but, uh, you know, emodium, uh, water purification, sanitation, you, know, you know, long-term event, you know, or even not even long-term, couple weeks, you know, I, I, I know I've heard, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, Cody uh, Lundin say, you know, where are you going to put all your poo? You know, yeah. What are you going to do with it? Have a plan. What are you going to do if somebody doesn't make it? You know, what are you going to do with at your location? You've got a body. Yeah. It's morbid to think, but we got to think about these things. You know, sanitation and water purification. Those are going to prevent a lot of uh, the illnesses that that'll they clean house in a in a true long term disaster.
1: I can give you one one thing people can do for the, the, the waste, you know, the human waste, especially in two- to four-week period, this will get you out of a lot of problems, and I picked this up from one of Ron Hood's videos, but it's just basically you yeah, have a five-gallon bucket, a, a box of trash bags, and a few jugs of chemical toilet stuff, and it's not the cleanest thing in the world, but it'll keep it under wraps, and you can, you know, use it until it's full enough to get rid of it and keep doing that. And that sucks, but it's a lot better than just dropping it in your backyard. And you will get the you know, chemical breakdown of the waste. And, and I think that's a, so people don't generally think of that as a medical thing, but it is because how much yeah, can be caused? Much how much can be caused and damaged by having that you know feces out there? It is gross to talk about, but we got to talk about it because it's reality. How much? How much disease can be spread with that? I mean, and you've not
0: how much. Prime example going on right now. Look at Haiti. You know, as cholera is a disease that is transmitted from the oral fecal route. It's by eating or drinking food or water that has been contaminated with an infected infected individual's fecal matter. And, and that's how it was introduced into the country. And that's a whole political thing that is going on. And, and my personal opinion, and and have been a lot of people on the ground over there is the reason to keep the UN backyard. Yeah, but uh, uh, you know, and, and not in any way saying it was an intentional thing, but but you know, if it looks like a duck quacks like a duck. You know, it must be a duck, and that's where it looks like this disease started, and it was just from. And where did it start from? It started from lack of good sanitation, and that's why it exploded throughout the country because there is no good sanitation. Uh, but but as far as an aid bag, um, you know, obviously the the uh, acute stuff. Um, that we were talking about the trauma for the immediate life threatening things in a way that uh... you know secure an airway and and I think everybody out there should just take a basic you know layperson cpr or even you know most community colleges will offer a, a first responder course for three bucks you know it, it's a uh, uh one night a week maybe for a few uh you know three hours a night uh one day once a week for a few weeks and uh and you come out of that with a, with a real good handle on you know airway control and uh, you know how to stop hemorrhage. Yeah, you come out of it with the big killers, and you also get a good idea of you know just hydration and things that you need long term to, to keep you and your and your uh, loved ones alive. Uh, but uh, real quick, I just want to plug one of your sponsors. I forgot to mention this, but when our first trip when we were just talking about water, uh, I remembered it. Uh, Jeff, the Berkey guy. Uh, he came through for us in a big way on this first trip and we actually used uh the sport bottles um, uh, exclusively for our water purification down there and we were drinking some funky stuff. Wow. You know, coming through those bottles and uh and nobody got ill and ill we didn't you know so just so they're battle they
1: they're battle proven yeah. now, and they're not real expensive, folks. So those are a, not a good time. good item. And I didn't know Jeff did that. I'm going to personally tell him thank you next time I uh, yeah, I talk is. to him. He's giving away a system this month, so I'll be talking to him. Yeah, I'm glad you let me know that. Ends up
0: with whoever ends up with it is uh, is a blessed individual because is uh, the big systems the company has is a base camp filter and and the, and the bottles we use as an individual level, but uh, and Jeff's a great guy and. and uh, you know, uh, nobody can go wrong by going through, uh, through him for you know, their filtration needs. He, uh, you know, went as far as to ship stuff overnight air to us before we'd even talked about, you know, payment or anything else just to get wow. it to us so we could, it could get here by our jump off time. But, uh, uh, anyways, uh, a quick quote for him. He's a great guy and, 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 and puts out a great product and distributes a great product that I had my life on, uh, more than once.
1: Let me ask you a question uh, as a medical professional here about dehydration. Uh, and I'm not necessarily talking about it from, from a diarrhea episode, but from, it could be, I'm sure you even saw some of it down there where people just don't have enough water to drink and it's hot as blazes and they end up dehydrated. I've had that happen to my wife twice because she's a dumb ass sometimes and just doesn't drink enough water. And people will get so nauseated from that that they can't, you can't get them to drink. And that's like the at that point, it's the only thing that'll fix it. Now, you, if I'm dehydrated laying out and you've got your kit, you're going to just start pumping fluids into me with an IV. I don't have the training to do that. So other than, you know, get them cool and and, and things like that, what can you, is there anything that you can add to your kit to help that person as a lay person?
0: Any type of, any type of, of, uh, you know, once you get to that point where, you know, you've progressed into the, the, you know, from, uh, you know heat exhaustion and the, the heat stroke you're just so dehydrated that you know you're throwing up and you can't keep anything down you know you're uh, if you can't get medical care you're you're in danger of dying um, and and rapidly and, and in a horrible way uh any type of um any nausea medication uh, that you can get uh, uh over the counter um, and, and again for informational purposes uh not not uh medical advice but you can give, uh, a PR oral medications, um, you can give the PR per rectum, uh, mm-hmm. and have them affect you the same way. If you can just get somebody to the point where they can take, uh, and start intaking fluids, you know, oral fluids, um, but, but other than, uh, other than trying to put in some, some type of anti-, uh, emetic or anti-nausea medicine, uh, is there and anything in
1: particular that, you would recommend that people that's keep...
0: That's I was about to say. I, I, hate to, I hate to say but I can't remember. I, I know Dramamine uh, is a motion sickness medication, but it does have an anti-emetic property. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife would really be the one to ask, because she's a self-trained herbalist, about the uh, natural uh, you know, herbs or, or supplements or something that you could take to... Uh, You know, ginger, uh, uh, or or even peppermint, or something like that, to to try to to quell the nausea, Mm -hmm. just enough to be able to get some intake, you know, some fluid intake.
1: uh, Because I've seen people in that state, and once you get them to where they can even put sixteen ounces of water into themselves, everything changes. They start to come back to life almost instantly.
0: Yeah, it's it's those. You know, dehydration is one of those one of those ah moments, in in anybody's, uh, whether you're a medical professional or, or. or a layperson, person, and when you see it work, and you see dehydration work, and you see somebody that, that you're looking at them going, they don't look good. Yeah. And, and you're scared to, you know, and like you said, once you can get them to get, you know, a few ounces in them, and, and it'll just shut down the body's response that it's having, uh, its negative response that it's having, and they can start intaking fluids. I mean, big difference. It's, uh, yeah, it's like anybody that's seen a diabetic, uh, you know, that's hypoglycemic, and they get a little bit of sugar in them, you know, and it's you know Doctor Jekyll and Mr Hyde that just turned completely around.
1: Yeah, it's like flipping a switch. Yeah. On training, yeah, real really quick. Uh, on training, real quick. You, uh, you, you are a paramedic, but you started out as an EMT. What? A, my understanding of the, and I've never taken any of the courses, so I don't know. But my understanding of the EMT training is it's not that expensive to do and it's not that di- – there's time commitment, you got to learn a lot of stuff, but it's not that difficult to get through, that it, it is something that a lot of people could go take the training, afford to do it, and not necessarily be looking for a career and still go that far. Would you see a lot of value to, to that, or does, am I properly oh, I informed would. there? Or? Yes,
0: yeah, that's exactly right. Tremendous, tremendous value at it. Um. Uh, depending on your state, you know, different states have requirements, um, and different schools have different requirements. Some schools require you take the first responder before you can take EMT, and, and I'll honestly, a lot of the things that you learn, 90% of what you learn as EMT, you learn in your first responder course, and then an EMT, it comes into, uh, uh, you're going to come into, uh, that you won't learn in first responder, you're not going to learn any type of assisting with medication delivery, like uh, Know an EMT can help a patient administer, self-administer an EpiPen, and, and you know, and uh, when you go through the school, you know, your instructor has the help in quotation marks because it's a prescribed medication. They can assist or help a patient with their asthma inhaler, their or their combination inhaler. Uh, you know, they can administer oxygen, uh, you know, high, high flow oxygen. Uh, but, uh, uh, the first responder courses, the least is the base level, the entry level of any medical training. And it's not, there's no certification or, I, in some states recognize they're having a first responder test with in uh, certification. The majority of them are, uh, or start out at EMT basic. But, you know, anybody out there that, that, uh, who is interested in doing it, and I would highly recommend it. Like I said, it's not really expensive. It doesn't take a lot of time. And, uh, and there's no reason you don't have to, once you go through the class, I and mean, you can just say, yeah, I'm not looking for a career. I don't care about having an actual license or, or certification. You just don't take the national test or your state test. But uh, you talk about it, just invaluable information. And uh, and less than that, it, it, if uh, uh, another thing you learn the difference, first responder and EMT basic course, you know, in the EMT basic you start getting into stuff about, you know, uh, working with the paramedic and assisting a paramedic on an ALS risk you're setting up for IVs, you're setting up for innovation, you're, you know, helping the medic run a code, uh, things like that. That uh um, you know, depending on 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 the situation and the personnel around you, you may or may not ever need, but just a, a, a wealth of knowledge can be gained in any first responder of the MP course and it's and it's not one of those things where, you know, you learn it and file it away and, and you never need it. I can almost guarantee anybody throughout their life, if they take one of the classes sometime in your life you will use some of that information, whether it's a, a life-saving event or it's a, you know, a, you know, a, a simple sprained ankle at, at some point in time, you know, you, you'll use it. Um, I think library wise, I think in everybody's library, there's just a couple of books in and, and our survival bookshelves we have. There um, is the doctor. Uh, I can't remember the author right now. I'd have to go uh, look at it. Uh, it's a wonderful book. It It, it is uh some of it's written uh, more towards uh, uh, people with basic medical knowledge, but you can pick that book up with no medical knowledge, and, and it'll help you diagnose uh, specific illnesses and, and life threats, and help you treat them. Uh, and it'll teach you and show you ways to get equipment and things that you can substitute for uh, you know over-the-counter things that can be used in place of uh, uh, prescription things or different medications. Uh, uh, ditch medicine is a, a pretty good one. Um, but uh, some, like we were talking about things that you should have. Uh, I think every one of us in our preps and our aid bag, we should have a simple OB kit. You know, uh, uh, the, uh, that's something you can buy on you know, any medical supply house. There's nothing in there that's, that's uh, controlled. You know, it's under the sale of a physician only or order of a physician only. It's, you know, sterile gloves and drapes and umbilical cord clamps. And, you know, all of us, especially all of us men and even us in the EMS field, you know, we hear you hear the words, get the OB kit. You know, and it's difficult to get off the seat because now you're stuck to it. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, that's, yeah. that's one of the big pucker ones because nobody wants to pull a
1: baby out. But you, if you end up in a situation where the kid's coming, the kid's coming, he ain't going to wait. And there's, I think there's some creative ways to get some training. Uh, my buddy Brian at I.P.S. said he wanted to learn how to do IVs in case you were ever in a situation where I shouldn't do it, but if I don't do it, this person's going to die. Uh, right. heat exhaust, heat stroke is like one of the things you're talking about like that. So what he ended up doing to avoid having to do all of this long, because he didn't want to do this as a profession, but he just wanted the skill set, he took an emergency veterinary medicine, um, uh, like an emergency, uh, you know, for pets response. Right. right. So of course, you can learn how to do an IV with a dog, and you don't have to have any kind of special training or certification to be allowed to learn that way. And then the process, as long as you know what you're supposed to be doing, is very similar. So for some people, it's like, we hope we don't ever have to use this stuff. You do it every day. But if we do have to, we want the knowledge. So there are creative ways to get the knowledge. I Also, want we're getting close to the end here. So I want to talk about, you have set up a nonprofit to help your group get aid to Haiti. You want to tell folks about that and kind of its name and where the name came from? Because I think it's pretty cool what y'all did
0: definitely uh it's uh, um our organization's called bella medical ministries um uh reformed you know three local dragon parents uh and uh and we decided uh that uh, while we were in haiti we were talking about it and, and we were just like wow you know you're able to help people down here with just the the smallest amount of of uh of skill set and, and equipment and uh and like I was saying you're talking about four dollars worth of stuff and you're saving babies lives with it and uh and something that like you just said that you could take a vet class and learn how to how to do um, to an extent. But we formed an organization uh after we came back from the States or technically our first trip. Um, the naked take, uh, Bella was the first child that we treated uh in the village uh in Bon Repos, in the Village. Um, we just got in, dumped our gear and everything, and kind of went to the clinic to see what we we uh, had to work with. And uh, we're unpacking our equipment and and uh, supplies. And uh, one of the, the girls, American girls that was there, uh, she came in and she said, "We got a little girl that's really sick. Can you take a look at her?" So we're like, "Yeah, sure," you know. And we think, you know, really sick." Okay, well, let's go look. And the three of us, you know, compiling into the room and, uh, and and looking at her stopped us in our tracks. Uh, I've never seen a child it's so sick. It's so dehydrated, uh, you know. I, I just, it's uh, words don't even describe. You know, it, it was way worse than those old late-night Sally Struthers "Feed the Children" commercial. I mean, she was bad. And uh, the first thing that that, uh, I, that we thought, I looked at her, and, and uh, my buddy Chris looked at her. Yeah, he dug down, down and, and uh, started checking by, but there, yeah. and he says, uh, this, "This little girl's gonna die." And I said, yeah, you know, and we checked her out and I said, yeah, I know. and Let's we'll see what we can do. And, uh, uh, she, uh, she had, uh, it turned out she had a GI bleed. Uh, she also had a dysentery. Uh, she was sick. And, uh, uh, Chris, uh, uh, amazingly got an IV into her because we were, we were planning on, uh, doing an drilling through her one of her bones and, and she was in saline that way, but then she was just so dehydrated and everything that we figured her bones were so and so malnourished that her bones would just shatter. Uh, but we got to her and, um, we started feeding her fluids a little bit at the time. She was, uh, at that time she was so dehydrated, uh, you know, her fontanels and soft spots in her head were sunken in. There and mm. If, uh, if, if we'd tried to move her, uh, even if we had a good place to take her at that time to a hospital, we couldn't have taken her through the streets. Just, uh, the uh, the the bumpy ride would have just given her you know, a, a traumatic brain injury killed her, and uh, uh, so we got in, got her started going on foods and and you know set up a uh, a watch schedule for her and uh, and we kind of pulled back and talked about it and and uh, got together and and uh, prayed a little bit and and uh, said okay well this is the first kid we're going to treat here let's all be ready for
1: you know sunrise this little one year old girl to be gone. excuse me anyway uh so we were ready for her to not make it through the night
0: and uh and we sat with her through the night and and uh you know dripping fluids into her and she got better and, and better and her eyes started opening and and uh we kept her down and uh uh and uh, on a drip for about 36 hours because uh, you can't just that's the other thing about these fluids you can't just flood somebody with fluids and, and consider them fixed because you will kill them especially pediatrics uh the kids uh Anyway, uh, she got better to the point where, where we thought we could move her. And, uh, turns out she, she was an orphan and she had been adopted by a family here in the States. But, uh, all the paperwork and everything on the, the American side was taken care of. The Haitian side, uh, all the paperwork in the, uh, Ministry of the Interior, um, was gone. You know, mm. the whole building, I got a picture of the building. Not only did it collapse, but then it burned. So, uh, there was very little chance of her getting out of the, uh, of the country. And there's no hospital to take her to, uh, children. In the U.M. went into the airfield jet. Uh, but so it was one of those things where if she couldn't get to the States, which was basically impossible for, for her to be able to get brought back to the United States. If she couldn't get to the States, um, uh, then she's gonna die. And there's nothing we could do for it because so we couldn't, we couldn't stop her diarrhea, we couldn't stop her vomiting, we couldn't stop her, uh, her internal bleeding and, uh, uh but, uh, you know, God moved mountains and, uh, and he's in the miracle business. And next thing you know, uh, some papers showed up, uh, uh, needing, uh, physician authorization for, uh, for the child to be on a, on a, visa to, back to America for medical care. So, you know, we're, at Haiti, we're doctors. So we applied the U.S. paperwork, uh, where the exes were and, and it got back to the embassy and, uh, uh about 24 hours after that, uh, she was at, uh, University of Miami Children's uh, Hospital in Miami and uh, in the arms of her adoptive uh, mother and father.
1: Wow. Wow. And that's what's – folks, I want uh, one thing I want kind of uh, Brandon to finish up with here is, Brandon, I want people to understand why they should help small organizations like yours. I think sometimes people feel like, well, if I go with like the Salvation Army or something, then I know it's going to help because they're big and they're out – Tell people how much money went to the Red Cross for Haiti and tell people what you've seen out of the American Red Cross in haiti
0: the uh from, from my understanding right after the disaster you could text message you know and donate ten bucks but so uh, the number that I've heard over and over is about two billion dollars uh, went to the Red Cross uh, directly after the the disaster other than uh here and there you'll see tarps in the tent cities that, you know, were were uh, given out by the Red Cross. And my travels throughout Port-au-Prince and other areas of Haiti and, and a lot of relief really workers can thing. I ain't seen one Red one Red Cross representative. Um, as far as I, I've seen, they are not overly active in Haiti. That $2 billion, that money that was donated uh, to Haiti, well, that money, you know, while when you donated it, you donated it to Haiti because that was what the acute disaster was. That's not what they collected. They solicited the donations for the Red Cross. So it goes to all kind of other things. The Red Cross is a great organization. You know, they've been around for a long time, but they're a huge organization. They have a lot of overhead. They have administrative costs. They have operations in just about every nation of the world. Um, I look at it like this. If you were to take that same $2 billion, which is like $2,000 if you were to take 2,000 small organizations, bust Haiti into 2,000 grid squares, give each one of them a grid square and a million bucks, and say, "Make it nice, make it self-sustainable, and make it, you know, so it can be a, a viable, you know, part of the society." Uh, you could turn the country around real fast. Um,
1: I think you could rebuild the entire island. For two, I don't. I don't think the GNP of Haiti uh, is two billion dollars. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's insane. Not, it's,
0: it's not. It's uh, the amount of money that's been donated, and, and a lot of it gets back into the corruption and everything of the, yeah. of the
1: government. And, but it, so I just because I know you won't do this for yourself, so I want to do this for you to to to, to kind of sway people to do something for your nonprofit here, folks. Two billion dollars goes to the American Red Cross, and we get some parts these guys put together things literally on a shoestring and go down there and help. And they bring a little girl back to her adopted parents from the verge of death. Now, I, I, like I said, I know you won't put it that way because you don't want to hard sell it. And I normally won't either, but in this case I will. So folks, if you're looking for someone to help out this month, uh, it would mean a lot to me if you could, if you could go and just a few bucks, you'd be amazed what these guys can do with it. So, uh, i uh, I think they were toward the end there I just wanted to kind of leave it to you now. What do you want people to take away from this from a standpoint of one helping out two what it means to them in their own lives uh and three from a preparedness standpoint
0: um, I think one with with uh I appreciate what you just said jack uh um yeah it's with us if anybody is is wanting to to help out you know it's it's a tax deductible donation and uh you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's our, it's our baby. It's, it's, uh, my wife and I and, and my friends. And of course we have directors and accountability, but, but, uh, you know, my personal, uh, word and guarantee is, is every cent of every dollar goes to, uh, the people of Haiti. It doesn't go to, uh, some other NGO. It doesn't go to, to finance us, uh, staying in a resort, uh, you know, on the, uh, on the West coast or, or anything like that. Uh, uh, it, it, doesn't cost a lot to put together a team to go over, over to, uh, to help out. Um, you know, our first trip, our budget for for everything that we went over with included buying, you know, food and equipment and everything in airfare or the, the small cost it was for us to fly with MFI uh, was less than $3,000, uh, And subsequent and trips since then have been less than that. Um, It's uh, uh, you can make a big difference a little bit, Uh, and and from a standpoint of what you know, for all of us, it was a life changing experience. And all of us had been in in uh, developing nations before. We'd all been in you know uh, nations that were under you know constant state of war, whether external or civil, and uh, we've all been in disaster zones. But I've never seen anything so bad. You couldn't, you couldn't do to those people in that city what that earthquake did, you know, with a fleet of B-52s. You, you, know, you just couldn't do it. it wow. uh, it's, a, uh, uh, you know, destruction on a scale that is almost unimaginable and suffering and, and uh, and death on a scale that's almost unimaginable. Uh, but, uh, you yeah, know, like you said, it, it's, it was almost a year ago and not a lot's changed um, and that's unfortunate and there's pockets of course has changed tremendously and uh... and there is rebuilding going on but you go to the areas that things are rebuilt and they're they're trying to get back to functioning and they have clean water and they have a clinic to go to and bring their families to and uh... uh people are starting to you know you have you have uh... businesses that are created and uh... and work that's being uh... distributed uh... uh doing something other than just sitting around the tent for the all day, you know, uh, uh, wishing you had a job to go to, even if it was, you know, swinging muck somewhere. Uh, but the places that things are going to be, that are getting really done, uh, that I've seen, they're small groups that are doing it. You know, uh, they're not international NGOs. Um, uh, and, and the Lord knows that, that without the big groups, you know, as much as I don't like it, without the UN help, with security. And, and, uh, and definitely without our military being over there and our water sanitation people doing what they are able to do and without groups like uh, University of Miami Hospital, then uh, there'd be no hook-all for the country. But uh, this is something, this cholera epidemic, they're saying some people, epidemiologists say it's going to run 10 years. You know, uh, Haiti is a long-term commitment to, uh, to getting these people. Uh, uh, it'll take a long time to get them back to the way they were Five minutes before the quake, which was pretty bad, but uh, uh, you know, it's the first time you pick up one of these kids, and 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 uh, and this baby looks at you, you know, just innocent as the day is long, and for three bucks, you can save it.
1: That's pretty amazing, really, and I, I think we don't realize how good we have it sometimes, and uh, oh, yeah. You know, and
0: then, like I said, it changed our point of view, you know, when we were sitting over there, you know, sitting on a rooftop looking out over the city and, uh, and talking about it, you know, uh, uh, you'll never hear me, uh, bitch and moan about, uh, things going on in the States, uh, to the degree that, uh, that I know I did prior to that. Um, it'll make you thankful for, for what you got, and, and uh, no matter how angry we get at the powers that be, at least we know that, uh, our government will blatantly steal an election from us, at least not blatantly, uh, <laughs> that when you need help that you can call the police and uh, and you don't have to be more afraid of them than the, the, uh, the people that you called about. Um, you know, we're truly, truly blessed. To live. You,
1: you know, I've said that before, that we have the military that people go to for help and we have the police departments that people go to for help. And I think people that haven't ch- uh, traveled to places like this don't understand that in other parts of the world, you don't go to the police for help. You don't go to the military for help. That's the last place you go. Um, And I think we don't really, some of us don't appreciate what um, those guys do for us and just our law enforcement and our military. We don't appreciate them enough. Um, I, know yeah, I, I agree you've seen, you, you definitely probably do and for being private service military you know things a little deeper than a lot of I, I don't think anybody that's never served will really understand a soldier um, I do want to wrap up now because we've gone about an hour or ten here um, I again folks I want to tell you guys um I personally vouch for this organization. If if you go out and help them, that that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. I'm a pretty good judge of horse flesh, as we say here in Texas, and uh, it's an outstanding guy here. And I appreciate you being here with us today, Brandon. And I appreciate the work you've been doing.
0: Definitely. And uh, the only thing I, else I want to say, as far as uh, thing lifestyle, you know, if uh, if you're just getting into it, or if you've been into it your entire life, you know, either way, uh, uh, you know, good on you. As uh, as we used to say, but uh, uh, you know this this whole situation over there that happened with that quake is, is uh, it's an eye opening experience and how in 75 seconds of shaking the entire world can change and uh, uh, you know different situation here in the states but nonetheless you know I don't think a year a year later we'd, we'd still be living in refugee camps so I hope not but. You know, we all know there's situations that could cause that, and uh, even if it's not a year, you know, a, a week's a long time to be hungry. You know, uh, uh, a week without clean water, and you're you're dead. Dead. So, especially for for uh, the men and women out there with families and kids, you owe it to your family to be ready.
1: All right. Well, again, thank you uh, for what you've done. Thank you for being here today. And, folks, with that, I will wrap up. This has been Jack Spirico today with Brandon Shelton. Helping you figure out how to live that better life, the times get tough, or even if they don't. In this case, how to help some other people live that better life when theirs got really tough.